find Nehemiah chapter 12. We will be in Nehemiah this week, and we will finish the story in the series on Nehemiah next Sunday. And I'm excited to, to be able to uh, bring that to an end. Um, but today in chapter 12, we're going to see a very, very important thing happen. Now that the wall has been rebuilt, uh, the spiritual leadership with the priests and the Levites, have the spiritual leadership has been established. Uh, the people of Judah have allowed God to place them in the proper place. And we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. Um, and, and he placed them according to his will in purposeful places. And you remember, he placed people inside the city and outside the city, which we talked about last week. So the short-term work is finished. Um, the, the goal that Nehemiah set out to do when he first was called by God and left Persia to go back to Judah to reestablish, rebuild the wall and reestablish the city, all of that initial work now was coming to an end. Now there was a long-term work that still needed to be done. The long-term rededication and obedience of the people was now just beginning. So this wasn't the end of the effort. This was the end of the beginning of the, that longer effort. But what had to be established and what needed to be put into place for that rededication of their lives and their obedience to God, all of those pieces that had to be put into place now are finished. And so what we see in chapter 12 is a grateful response from from the people after everything is done you know how when you you work on something like this and it may be a a long-term thing and you get to the end and you're ready to to celebrate that it's been completed and this is what we see in chapter 12 there's a dedication and there's a celebration from the people and so we're going to look at just a few verses in chapter 12 we're not going to look at the entire chapter verse by verse but I want to give you a little bit of a summary as you look in chapter 12. Those first 26 verses of chapter 12, again, is another section of Nehemiah that we would be tempted to just read over and not even pay attention to. But I want to give you, I want to let you know that big long list of names there at the beginning of chapter 12 is a listing of the men who made up the Levitical priesthood. And the Levites are an important part of what happens in chapter 12. Um, the, the Levites, you remember the tribe of Levi was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the tribe of Levi was specifically set apart by God to be the tribe of the priesthood. And all of the men who served in the priesthood of Israel came from the tribe of Levi. Not all the Levites were priests, but all of the priests were Levites. Does that make sense? All of the men who served as priests came from the tribe of Levi. Now, the, the other people from the tribe of Levi also served as, as the leaders and the administrators of worship for the people, but they weren't all priests. Priests were sort of the, the highest rank of those people. But all of the ones that we've read about and seen talked about in Nehemiah when we talked about the singers, we talked about the song leaders, we talked about the gatekeepers, all of these people... Were, were Levites and they were part of the tribe of Levi and they served in those capacities. They were servants of God in the temple and they were considered the spiritual leaders of the people. And so these first 26 verses in chapter 12 is an important list 
because what we're going to read later in chapter 12, what the Levites did in leading the celebration is important. And many scholars believe that, that Nehemiah included this in chapter 12 as a, as a record to validate the spiritual authority that the Levites had in Jerusalem. It, it was to, to say, hey, these, these men play an important role. And this is the role they play. And the role they play is legitimate in, in their service to God and their service in leading the people. So I want us to begin reading and looking in detail at verse 27. This is sort of the, the narrative story of what happens now at this point. Um, the wall is built. Everything is in place. So look at verse 27 in chapter 12. It says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers gathered from the region around Jerusalem, from the settlements of the Netophilites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmavest. For they had built settlements for themselves around Jerusalem. After the priests and Levites had purified themselves, they purified the people, the city gates, and the wall. So, what is it when we talk about dedication? This is what they came together to do. They came to dedicate the wall. And what is it that we do when we dedicate something? We dedicate things all the time, still today. That's, that's a part of our, our church. When we um, establish things, we at least once a year, we have a parent-child dedication. We dedicate, if we were to uh, have a new structure or open a new building, we would have a dedication for that. Um, we have dedications outside the church. That's a common thing. But what is it that we do when we dedicate something, when we dedicate something, we're setting it apart for a specific purpose. And we talk about the word holy in Scripture, and holy means to be set apart for a specific purpose, to be different. And so it's almost in, in, in the spiritual sense, when we dedicate something physical, we're setting it apart for a spiritual purpose. And so, and, and, and we also use the word to consecrate. And the Levites, this was an important part of what the Levites did in service to God. In the temple, there were, there were particular places that were consecrated for worship, that were dedicated to the Lord. And there were different degrees of holiness. You remember in the temple, there was the Holy of Holies that only the high priest was able to enter into. There were some of the courts that only Jews could enter into and not Gentiles. There were, there were different places that were consecrated, dedicated to specific parts of their worship, set apart for specific things. But dedication, in that, in that initial dedication of a space or a thing or anything that we want to dedicate to God, it usually involves thanksgiving. It should always involve gratitude because we see in verse 27, it says they called the Levites together to celebrate the joyous dedication with what? Thanksgiving. The temple and these spaces 
within the temple were consecrated by the priests, but this was a bigger effort. This was a much bigger scale. I don't, I don't know that ever before in the history of the people had they, had they taken consecrating the temple and the spaces within the temple and dedicating them was something that, that, that was common. They were used to, and the Levites did that all the time. But now, the scope of this dedication was way bigger. We're talking about an entire city that they desired to dedicate to the Lord. And, and this wall that had been built, it was so much bigger scope. And it says that they called the Levites from wherever they were into the city. And another detail that you may or may not remember is that the Levites, when the land was being apportioned out to each of the tribes, the, Le- the tribe of Levi didn't, they were not given their own portion or plot of land. God made arrangements for the Levites to be cared for out of the, the portions each of the other tribes would contribute to take care of the ones who served in the tribe of Levi. So they didn't have their own, their own land or their own region, so they settled in different places. And, the, and they were scattered everywhere. And so when this call came out, they knew that the Levites are the ones that we need because they are the ones that carry the spiritual authority for the people. If we're going to dedicate this wall in this city, the Levites are the ones who fill that role. We need to gather them in from inside and outside and bring them together because this was going to be a celebration. And this was a celebration of thanksgiving and any great celebration involves music, right? This is a, this is a musical, like we, we contribute music to celebration. Um, like even even more than cooling the gang does, but um, there's there's always a, a place for music when it comes to celebration, and this celebration was going to involve singing, accompanied by it says cymbals, harps, and lyres. Those are all stringed instruments, percussion instruments. Um, all of the church musicians for the people were Levites. Like when we come into worship and we have Dan, we have our band members, we have the, the people in the choir, they are, are serving the role for us similar to the role that these musicians as Levites serve for the people. They were the worship leaders. They were the musicians. They were the ones who led the people in singing in their worship to God. And I want you to notice one of the, the very first thing, once the Levites were called together for this dedication and this celebration, the very first thing that they did was to purify themselves. Before they gathered the people, before they led the city in this celebration, in this dedication, there was a purification that had to take place. First, they purified themselves because they couldn't lead the people in genuine worship and celebration if their hearts, their own hearts weren't pure. If their own hearts weren't clean before the Lord. And this is true. Leaders, it doesn't matter what role of leadership that we play when it comes to the areas of worship. We, as leaders, have to make sure that as we stand to lead God's church, that there's a purification that happens in our own hearts, that we submit ourselves to the authority of God. We pray that prayer of saying, God, search my heart, show me, as the psalmist said, any, any wicked way that's in me. 
and lead me in the way everlasting. Purify my heart, God, because I want to lead the people in pure, genuine worship. Before we can do that, our hearts have to be pure too and allow God to purge us, our minds and our hearts of sin before we can lead effectively. But then it says, after they purge themselves and they purified themselves, then it says they purified the people. Once they had, had humbled themselves before the Lord in that way, then they led the people to do that as well. Because that was essential for the celebration to be right and pure. And so I hope that when you come into this space on a weekly basis, that you practice that purification of your heart before you get here, before you come. Because this was the first thing before a single note was played and a single song was sung. The leaders purified themselves and they led the people in that. I pray that, that every week before you come, there's a, there's a moment at least that you have with the Lord. That your first encounter with Jesus is not when you walk in here. That, you, that we submit ourselves because we're coming to celebrate, we're coming to worship. And here is a point to remember this morning. The purity of our worship is determined by the purity of our hearts before God. Because we label lots of things worship. We label music worship. We label singing as worship. We label um, uh, physical expressions of worship, lifting our hands, we, uh, praying, all of these things are these outward signs of worship, but it's very easy, it's very easy for us to come and present all of these outward expressions of worship and then be completely empty to God. There are places in Scripture where God even rebukes His people and says, I don't want to hear your songs because your hearts are so far from me. Because your lives are so full of sin that when you come and gather in my house and you sing songs to me, I literally, literally want to plug up my ears and I don't want to listen to it because it's just noise. We have to make sure that when we come before God that our hearts are pure. And folks, I'm sure you as well as I can think of times when we've come into God's house and we've sang the songs and we've bowed our head and closed our eyes and we've done everything we were supposed to and it was completely useless. Because there was sin in our life that we weren't dealing with. There was, there was bitterness and anger and there was resentment toward God, resentment toward people. Preoccupation with the world. We were too worried about what was going on outside. Whether it be, how, are, how am I going to pay the bills or where am I going to eat when church service is over? Psalm 24, verses 3 through 5 says this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The Levites were about to lead the people in this celebration to God, but it would mean nothing if their hearts were not pure and open before the Lord. And they knew that the worship of the people would be meaningless. 
This is why outward expressions of worship, we can't really judge the genuineness of, of each other's worship very easily because we can look at, at somebody. I may come in here and act like I'm worshiping and really be able to fool you. I may be able even fool myself. You say, well, they sure look like they're worshiping. They're raising their hands and they're singing loud. But that's not where music comes That's not where worship comes from. Worship doesn't come from our hands. Worship doesn't come from our mouths. It doesn't even come from our physical posture. It comes from our minds and our hearts. It's birthed here. And then what comes out of our hearts, that, that joining of our heart. You remember we, we talked about worship. The, the very first sermon series I did as your pastor, we talked about worship. And we said that worship is putting our mind's attention and our heart's affection together on God in response to who he is and what he does. And once our hearts and minds connect that way, then what comes out is really genuine. But it's difficult for me or anybody else to look at anybody on the surface and tell whether their worship is genuine or not. But the Holy Spirit's not fooled. And God is not fooled. So once the leaders were ready and they had prepared the people, Nehemiah directed the dedication and this celebration. So here's what I want to do. We're going to look at verses 31 through 43. But for time's sake and, and, and for your mercy, we're going we're gonna to jump around because there's, again, tons of names in here. And I will butcher some of them. But, but I'm going to put the verses on the screen and we're going to kind of jump through some of these verses to give you the narrative and the direction of actually what was going on. So let's start in verse 31. It says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up on top of the wall, and I appointed two large processions that gave thanks. Or, or you can you could literally call these like choirs. One went to the right on the wall toward the dung gate. If we skip down the verse, then there's a list of names. We skip down to verse 36. Ezra the scribe went in front of them. Verse 37, at the fountain gate, they climbed the steps of the city of David on the ascent of the wall and went above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The second Thanksgiving procession went to the left and I followed it with half the people along the top of the wall past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall above the Ephraim gate and by the old gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. They stopped at the gate of the guard and the two thanksgiving processions stood in the house of God. So did I and half of the officials accompanying me. Now skip down to verse 42. Then the singers sang with Jezreiah as the leader. On that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. If we go back to the beginning there at verse 31, you see the picture of what has happened. Do you remember what a certain guy named Tobiah said about the wall that Nehemiah was beginning to construct? If you go back to chapter 4 and you look at verse 3, 
You remember Tobiah was and um, and Samballot were were just blasting the Jews and making fun of them and shaming them for what they were doing. Tobiah said in chapter 4, verse 3, Indeed, even if a fox, do you remember this? Even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Do you remember Tobiah saying that? It's just like God, isn't it? Just like, and, and Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah for this. He's like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to surround this city with praise and dedication and celebration, but we're not going to do it on the ground. We are climbing up on top of this thing that God has built, and we're going to parade and walk all the way around the city from on top of the wall. Maybe he's thinking just to stick it to Tobiah, to, to prove what a fool he is in the sight of what God accomplishes. I love it. I love that part. It says, watch this, is basically what they do. Now, we don't know exactly how many people were a part of this, but easily, this was hundreds of people. This was not like a small group of people that just kind of made this single file parade around the top of the city. This was hundreds and hundreds of Levites, musicians, singers, playing all different types of instruments. And they were marching, like a, almost like a marching band, going around the top of this wall. And you can look at maps and you can see where the Dungate was the southernmost part of the wall. And that's where they began. And one group went this way on the right side. The other group went around the left side. And they literally surrounded the entire, and they, and they came together at the top, which was close to where the temple was. And then Nehemiah says... When they, when they circled the, the city completely, they came down and they all gathered together at the temple to worship. This was hundreds and hundreds of people. And it was, it, I, I believe it was to mock the enemies of God. To say, look at what God has done. This thing is not just holding up a fox. It is holding up hundreds and hundreds of people. This is strong. What God builds is strong. What God builds is sturdy. And it's lasting. And it was a dedication of that. But I want you to notice a couple of things about this celebration. Like we, we can picture what this might have looked like. And this was huge. And the scale and the scope of it was, was giant. But one thing I want you to notice is that it was done with, with a couple of things. One, I, I believe it was done with preparation and excellence. Preparation and excellence. Um, and here's a, another point or principle for you to remember this morning. When we celebrate with excellence, it proclaims the excellence of our God. When we worship and we, and we serve and we dedicate things with excellence, it shows how excellent God is. Um, we see a very detailed description in chapter 12. This was not just something that Nehemiah said, hey, why don't we get a bunch of Levites together and let's all just walk around the top of the wall. Just, any of you guys that want to come, y'all just, just show up and let's just do it. We'll do it in like 15 minutes. Y'all just get as many people as you can and we'll gather them all up and we'll do this thing. Like this was something that took preparation. This was something that took planning. Those of you that have sang, in, those of you that may be a part of our choir, your band members, musicians, 
Like, you don't want to just get up here on a Sunday morning with no preparation, do you? Well, one of your motivations is because you don't want to be embarrassed in front of people. I get that too. You don't want to be up here and be like, I, we don't know what we're doing. We're just... But a greater motivation for that is because whatever you do up here in leading God's people to worship, you want to do it well. You want to do it with excellence. And doesn't God deserve excellence in what we do? Now, what God does not demand is perfection because that's not going to happen, right? Any of us that have ever been a part of any, any kind of thing like that, if you've ever sang in a choir or played an instrument or something, there are always those moments where something goes wrong. You mess up, you hit a wrong note, you sing something, you're a little flat, your, your, your voice breaks, your, you, know, you, um, you break a drumstick, a guitar string pops. You, you know, any, any of those kind of things can happen. So perfection is not what we're shooting for, but excellence is. We should be ready. We should be prepared. Um, think about all of the people. They were marching around the wall. I don't, I don't necessarily think that maybe the two groups were doing their own separate thing. I like to imagine that they all were singing in unison together. Because groups that big could have been heard. And, and we see at the end that it was heard for a long distance. So it's not like... This group was going around on this side singing never once. And then the other group was going around the other side singing we believe. Which I love Dan's song selection this morning for these two songs. Because I believe if, it was, if this was happening modern day, the, the lyrical content of the two songs that we did right before I started are the exact kind of sentiment that these people would have been singing. God, you're faithful. Never once have you left us. Even when we've tried to leave you, you've never left us. We've never walked alone. Carried by your constant grace. Held within your peace. You, you have sustained us. You've been faithful. And then saying, and proclaiming inside and outside the city, this is what we believe. This is the truth and foundation of our faith. This is the kind of celebration that they were, that they were enjoying. So I know that Dan, when he leads us, he desires to be ready. He wants to do things with excellence. That's why choir, that's why he wants you to come to choir practice. Not, not because he's trying to, trying to put our thumb on you or trying to impose you, because God deserves the best we've got. And if we want to give the best we've got, it takes investment. It takes Dedication. Not perfection, but excellence is what we strive for. And excellence gave the people a unified, clear voice to lead them in response. When those who lead out in celebration of worship, when they are together and they're prepared and they're playing with excellence and singing with excellence, that gives the people that they're leading a unified voice to be able to follow. And when they're, they're together and you guys join together with them, I, I loved sitting down here this morning and hearing this entire house being full of we believe. Because I heard every single one of you singing it. I heard you singing it out loud together and it was unified. 
There's a, there's a beautiful, that's a beautiful proclamation. And you can imagine that this wall, it, it, they were all singing together, playing together. They were synchronized. They had practiced and prepared. And it was glorious. It was also a contagious celebration. It was joyful. Nehemiah called them Thanksgiving choirs. That's literally what these were. This wasn't a solemn dedication. This was not. There, there are moments for, for things to be solemn and quiet and reverent. But this was not one of those times. This was a time for celebration. It was supposed to be loud. It was supposed to be joyful. Verse 43 says, On that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. You notice that Nehemiah says they didn't rejoice because the wall was finished. They didn't rejoice because they were done building and they didn't have to build anymore. It said the reason for their rejoicing was because God had given them great joy. See, there's that element truth about worship that worship starts on the inside. It starts with our engagement with God. And so when we put ourselves in the proper place, we purify ourselves, God pours joy into us and then we are able to express that joy in our worship. So the joy that we show in our worship should come from Him because He's given it to us. They rejoiced because of what God had done and what they knew belonged to Him. And it filled them with joy and that joy had to be released. And it was contagious. It says that the women and the children also celebrated... And Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. It wasn't just the ones, it wasn't just the worship leaders, the Levites who were marching around the top of the city that were singing loudly and playing, but the people couldn't help but join them. So it was all the people. It was all so you imagine this city, like I think about um, how the how the Grinch stole Christmas. I, one of my favorite cartoons, and you remember at the end, all of the Who's down in Whoville, they start singing. And when they're all gathered together, they start singing. You could hear it. The Grinch, even up on the mountain, could hear it. Could you imagine thousands of people, hundreds and hundreds, marching around the top perimeter of the wall with their instruments and their voices singing, and then this, this roar, this holy roar of praise coming out from inside the city, coming out over the walls and just spilling out everywhere. It was a testimony to the nations and the cities and the regions all around that God had done something great. And it was contagious and everybody began to participate. They sang their praises over every part of the city too. And I, I love this idea. Because they circled around the whole city. I imagine that even within the city of Jerusalem, there were places that, that you would be okay to go. And there, there were probably some places in that city you didn't want to go. There were probably places within the city of Jerusalem that if visitors came in and were to ask the people who lived there, hey, where's the best place for me to, to do this or do this? They might have gotten advice just like we would give people. Well, when you come into this town, you, it's good to go here, here, and here, but stay away from this part because it's, it's nasty. Stay away from this part. It's dangerous. This is where sinful, dark things happen. 
And there were probably places like that in their city. There are places like that in Lindale. There are places like that in Rome. And we, we live as a, as a people who live in the midst of, of, of dark things and dark places. But when they, they dedicated the city and they sang praise to God over it, they circled the whole city. And I bet there were moments that they went around that wall and they were right above some of those dark dingy sinful places in the city and they were just singing the praise of God down on top of it to say this city belongs to God God established it to be a holy city and we are dedicating this wall and everything in it to the purpose that God intended for it what an incredible incredible thing Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6 says therefore Through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. The dedication of the wall was not a celebration of their hard work. Now, maybe there were some people who may have thought that because they didn't fully understand. But Nehemiah understood what we're celebrating is not our hard work. You know, when, a, when the Braves win the World Series, that's a big deal. It takes a lot of hard work and perseverance. And, and all of us who are fans, we say things like, we won the World Series when we had nothing to do with it, Right? <laughs> no, I mean, don't we do that? Like, we won the national championship. We won the World Series. No, I sat in my chair <laughs> and talked to the TV and, um, and complained every time Luke Jackson came out of the bullpen and <laughs> went to the pitcher's mound. Like, you know, all those kind of things. Like, that's, that's all I did. But, but when, they, when they win the series and they come parading through Atlanta and they're holding up that trophy and they're celebrating, that, that sounds and looks kind of like what this is in a lot of ways. There are similarities, but it's fundamentally very different because what, what the Atlanta Braves celebrated was the result of their hard work, what they put into it, their dedication, their practice, their teamwork, everything that they put into it, what these people, what Nehemiah was doing was leading the people to celebrate not what we did, but look at what God has done. It doesn't have, it has very little to do with us. We were obedient and we followed his lead, but without him, none of this happens. This is his. This city is his. This wall is his. Everything that happens here is his. And everything that we have to celebrate and praise over goes to him because he's the author of all of it. They were celebrating God's faithful work. But that faithful work was for their good. It was for their good because he's a good God. Because he's a good father and he loves his people and he was providing for them all along. Even, even when they were unfaithful. He took care of them. So here's the last point I want you to think about in, in saying, well, how, how, do we, how do I apply this, Eric? Whatever we dedicate to God, we celebrate it 
as being given by God, belonging to God, and for the glory of God. What we see here is a biblical example of what dedication should look like. And you say, well, when we dedicate something to God, what is it that we're doing? Well, the first thing, we're acknowledging that whatever we're dedicating to God came from God. The people celebrated, they walked around and, and, and sang praise around the top of the wall. And, and Nehemiah was leading them and Ezra was leading them to acknowledge that, that this wall is not the result of us and our hard work. It wasn't our idea. This was God's idea. All of this was given as a gift from God. When, when I and those of you who have been here, when we have parent-child dedication and you bring your babies and you stand before to dedicate them to God, the first thing you're saying is that this child is a gift from the Lord. This is something that he's given. And he's given a gift and that it belongs to him. And that sounds a little... Uh, contradictory uh, not, not so intuitive it's like well if God gives me a gift doesn't that belong to me sort of but it's still his and so as they were dedicating the wall they were saying wow look at what God has done look at this great thing he has given us for our good but we can't take ownership over it it's his And I've told you before as a church, it is good for us to celebrate the good things that God allows and gives to us as a church family, whether it be physical or spiritual, whatever. Whatever happens that we can celebrate together as a church, it's good for us to celebrate it and say, look at what God has given us. But at the same time, we can't take ownership over it like we created it or it's ours. It belongs to him. It is his church. I can say this is my church only because God has graciously given me you as a church family but this establishment of his church his body this is his and so I can celebrate it and I can steward it and try to take care of it as best I can but I can't take ownership over it because it's it's not mine it's his and so there's this dual God gives us gifts and we accept those gifts but at the same time we acknowledge that they because they come from him they ultimately belong to him and he has the final authority over them. And he gives good gifts to us for his glory. And God was glorified this day. When they walked around the wall and they sang, they sang loudly and they played and they proclaimed to everybody in that last verse says that the celebration Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away we don't know how far but it was further than you probably think because I think it wasn't even just the acoustics of what was going on I kind of feel like what was going on is that the Holy Spirit just kind of amplified you know, I can stand up here without a microphone and y'all can kind of hear me, but if I've got a microphone to amplify what I'm saying, it's much clearer and it can reach much further. I feel like the praise of the people that day, the Holy Spirit kind of played like an amplifier or a microphone. And it wasn't just the people around outside the city that heard it. There were probably people miles and miles and miles away that shouldn't have been able to hear it, but all of a sudden they heard the celebration of the God of 
Israel. The truth of who he was and how faithful he was being proclaimed for miles and miles away. I want you to think about what, what have you ever dedicated to God or have you ever truly dedicated something to God? And you say, what are you, what are you talking about, Eric? Like a wall? Like anything. Like the wall was not something that the people would have looked at and thought of something as being holy. There are things that God has given us in our life that belong to him ultimately, that he's given us for his glory. What would those things be? Have you ever dedicated your, your home to the Lord? Your car? Because you were grateful for this good thing that God gives? What if you were to genuinely dedicate that thing to God, ultimately for his purpose and for his glory? What about your job? What about, what about the computer that you do your work on every day? What, what, what are things that, that you, could, you could literally dedicate to the Lord? But, but to dedicate, anytime we, we find ourselves dedicating anything ourselves or, or anything that we want to dedicate to the Lord, it will involve all these things. It will involve purification because you can, you can say whatever you want to say about a thing that you want to give to God, but the purity of your heart determines whether it's really real or not. You can dedicate anything publicly to God in front of people and it means nothing if there's not purity in your heart. So that purification is part of that process. Preparation and excellence. Whatever we dedicate to God, we should, we should dedicate excellence and, and preparation to it as well. When we say that we've dedicated this part of our life or this thing to God and then we treat it irresponsibly or we're, we're lazy about it, that dishonors God. So preparation and excellence is part of dedication. But then also celebration is part of it. God is a good God and he gives good gifts for his glory. And it's, and it's good for us to celebrate that. What good gifts has God given you that he's calling you to dedicate to him so that those all around you can hear and know about who he is and what he's done?